This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and thanks for joining us. I think you're really going to enjoy this. This is one of the... uh, more important, more consequential people who has served in our government, and I predict will be serving again at the highest level. His name is John Ratcliffe. He was the former congressman from uh, the Dallas, Texas area. Uh, He went on to become the director of national intelligence for President uh, Trump. Um, And I was fortunate in Congress to get to know him really, really well, because we were on the Judiciary Committee together, but we uh, kind of ran in a circle, if you will, where we had dinner most nights that I was in Washington, D.C. Between my myself and Trey Gowdy, Tim Scott, uh, John Radcliffe, um, and some others, we broke bread and had meals on a very regular basis and got to know him and his wife. And I think you're going to be interested. I mean, on the, on the one hand, you're like, wow, okay, this is just a picture-perfect um, trajectory to become somebody who can be trusted with the most sensitive information, but also have the presence of mind to make the decision about the consequences of the decisions that a president has to make. And um, I, I don't know, he, he's just a simply wonderful guy. So him and his wife, Michelle, just some of the nicest people on the planet. But I think you're going to be interested on how he got to that position and, and what he did. And I look forward to having that discussion with him. And um, we're going to highlight a couple things in the news and then, you know, highlight the stupid because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. But let's start with a few things in the news. All right. Uh, a couple things that I really think are important, particularly with uh, John Ratcliffe coming on today. A lot of chatter if you kind of get past the the top look, kind of peel back the sensational of some of the news that's out there. Artificial intelligence is a very scary thing. It can be good. Uh, it can be very helpful. But out of control, it can be out of control. And when you have the likes of uh, an Elon Musk, I saw I saw a clip of him where he said he had talked to almost, you know, a whole bunch of members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. He had spoken to all 50 governors. He had visited um, with presidents in the past, plural. Um, And he said, you know, most people don't get it. They don't understand it. And it's true. We're probably operating at a different level in terms of knowledge base than in Elon Musk and many of the other tech leaders out there. Um, This highlights a problem and why I think it's newsworthy. Um, I do think it is something we have to deal with. One of the biggest problems in Congress and the White House and, you know, the the public at large is is, uh, understanding the language that is there. Now, I supported when I was in Congress something called the Office of Technology Assessment. Um, It was a bipartisan attempt to say, look, 
you have nerds come uh, testify before Congress. We don't even know how to, what to ask them because you don't even know the language. And, and so you have to be able to understand it if you're going to put some guardrails on it. Not that everything has to be regulated, but when you start to talk about the uh, world and how it's changing with artificial intelligence, it gets pretty scary. And we better do something now because putting that genie back in the bottle, very difficult thing to do. Uh, second thing I wanted to highlight in the news is this, um, I actually, for Barack Obama, President Obama, you know, as a former president, you get to have a presidential library. And with a presidential library, you go out and uh, raise a lot of money, mostly private money. There is some public money mixed into that. And so he has plans in the South Chicago area uh, to put in a 19-acre, $500 million facility. Now, here's the hard part, and I, this is where I feel for the former president. There was an article that came out in the Washington Post. It's uh, that The headline is, Chicago neighbors say Obama Center is raising rents, forcing them out. And it, it, it basically dove in and it said that the medium home prices have doubled since the, 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 how the, the center was first unveiled, and that consequently rents have gone way up. And so the argument and the, what President Obama is having to deal with there in Chicago is, do you not do the center? Do you let them languish in poverty? Do you, you know, to try to keep the rents so low? Or do you try to build up a neighborhood by creating an iconic place that will attract, I don't know, how many visitors are going to come there? People that will spend money, other businesses that will pop up? It seems to me that the president's heart, President Obama, is trying to do the right thing. And I can only imagine the frustration that he has because now they're saying, no, this is causing problems because now everything's more expensive. And I tend to be one that thinks, you know what, you got to raise all ships. And now do you do, through, do it through um, economic incentives. You do it through people getting jobs and lifting them up. Imagine all the jobs that are going to be created by spending $500 million and then having a business in perpetuity, albeit a library, where thousands upon thousands of people, probably on a daily basis, are going to come travel to and spend money. That's going to create all kinds of opportunity. People can get jobs. They get better jobs. But it's interesting how the president is looking at this and how it gets um, spun up and how there's this cycle of poverty just you got to change it. You got to break it. You got to move it in the right direction if you're going to improve it. All right. Now it's time to bring on the stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right. Got to look now to the Columbia law students. Uh, some of them are flipping out because Justice Kavanaugh uh, came and was going to speak there. And there were nine students in particular um, but the National Lawyers Guild claimed that Columbia Law School platformed the Federalist Society and, Ka and Kavanaugh, thereby normalizing, quote, white supremacist, patriarchal violence in the law, legal education, and the everyday fabric of U.S. society. That's the quote. How do you get so triggered by the presence of a Senate-confirmed justice of the supreme court 
That's what you're supposed to be doing in law school, understanding both arguments. You may not agree with him, but have the deference and have the the politeness and have the the, um, maturity to actually listen to both sides of an argument, just as Kavanaugh doesn't deserve that kind of stuff. And don't ever tell me again that Columbia Law School is one of the top law schools in the country. Bull-loney. Some of the Harvard, Stanford, Columbia, they are off the mantle as far as I'm concerned. Off the books because you know what? I wouldn't hire people from those from those uh, law schools. The education that's coming out, what they're being taught in terms of the wokeness is just disgusting to me. But that's my take on it. I think that qualifies for part of the stupid. And then I want to move to the next one. The first lady, Jill Biden, you may have seen this. LSU. Uh, goes and beats Iowa for the national championship. Jill Biden was there, and so this is her quote. It was so exciting, wasn't it? She said this on on ESPN. It was such a great game. I'm old enough to remember when we got Title IX. We fought so hard, right? We fought so hard. And look at where women's sports have come today. She then went on um, and invited... Not only LSU to come to the White House, but also to have Iowa come to the White House. Well, that did not go over well. And you know what? I think it was it, it was very indicative of how the Bidens think. Everybody wins. Nobody's a loser. Everybody has... Look, one of the most important things you get out of sports is the learning how to win and learning how to lose. And if you win... This whole idea of meritocracy, you know, that merit has its place in this world, that you achieve the highest things, you get certain rewards, like going to the White House, meeting the president, that's a good high thing. It doesn't mean, oh, everybody come along for the ride. Everybody gets a participation trophy is so wrong. But I will highlight this as the smartest uh, person in the room, evidently, and responding to that is the Iowa coach. And she said, look, This is LSU's moment. I'm paraphrasing. This is LSU's moment. Let them go to the White House. We we lost the game. LSU should be there, not us. If we really want to do something, have the Bidens come visit us in Iowa. Come show them the stadium. Come show them that part of the world. Now that was a great answer. You want to come up with a smart answer and something that actually is meaningful? That was a really good way to do it. And so hats off to the coach there at Iowa. All right, time to move on and uh, introduce our guests because uh, John Ratcliffe has become a very good friend. It's it's one of those pleasures when you serve in Congress, you get to meet some people and spend a lot of time with people. And the next thing you know, you know, you're leaving Congress and and uh, but you still continue on to be friends. And this is one of them. John Ratcliffe, just an amazing uh, human. But let's uh, let's dial up John and talk to him about his life and his career. Hello, John Ratcliffe. Hey, Jason Chaffetz. Jason, how are you? Thanks so much for ca- for letting me catch you. I do appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Always a pleasure to visit with you. No, listen, I always, look, I had such, so much fun uh, serving with you in Congress uh, with, you know, it's getting to be a couple of years now. And then, you know, next thing I know, you're like running the world as the director of national intelligence. So I, you know, <laughs> I don't know what was going on with those dinners, but, you know, between <laughs> you and Pompeo and the, uh, the whole bunch of people, it was, that's pretty amazing. Uh, well, you're very kind. Uh, 
know, you played a big part, uh, as did a lot of my friends uh, that we served with in Congress, you and Trey Gowdy, our dinners and, you know, the things that we talked about and the things that we did. I think, you know, for all of us, it led to the future opportunities that we've all been that we've been blessed with. But, yeah, I, you know, uh, 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 you know, I never envisioned myself in Congress, much less, um, you know, as, as the head of the intelligence community and the president's cabinet. So I. I'm as surprised as anyone, Jason. <laughs> yeah, well, um, listen, I want to go back because you, um, let, let's go back to the way back. I want to go back to little John or Johnny Radcliffe, whatever they call you uh, when you were growing up. Did You, you were Johnny, born in Texas? Gr- Johnny. Johnny? Yeah, so little Johnny. Yeah. little Johnny, uh, tell us, you know, kind of where were you growing up? What were you doing? Brothers, sisters, what was what was going on? Where were you born? Yeah, you know, I'm very fortunate, um, you know, to have had that sort of idyllic, uh, traditional family experience. I mean, you know, I had two, uh, you know, fantastic uh, parents. Um, you know, my dad, unfortunately, you know, passed away in 2005 at, at age 71, which is way, way too early. But uh, my mom is, uh, will be 88 this November. And but, but, you know, my parents were great. Uh, they had six kids. I was the youngest of six kids. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Illinois. I was born in, and raised in Illinois. And, you know, I've been in Texas ever since, uh, you know, went to undergrad at University of Notre Dame, um, uh, but ended up at law school down at SMU. And that's how I became a Texan. And so, um, you know, I've been there, obviously, the vast majority of my life. And Texas is home. But uh, now I grew up in Illinois and just had, had you know, again, um, very close with all of my brothers and sisters. I mean, uh, so this weekend will be, you know, uh, Easter weekend. And I think I'll have uh, two of my sisters and two of my brothers. So I think five of the six of us will be with my mom um, uh, for Easter. I think I have one, one, one sister that won't make it this, this trip. Um, but anyway, obviously very close family that's always been supportive and, you know, big part of, you know, um, you know, who I became as a person and, and, and really um, the opportunities that I've had, you know, um, throughout my life. And so just uh, I've been very fortunate on the, uh, you know, on the uh, on the family front. Now, were you arguing around the kitchen table here? Because, you know, you actually you're very polite, but you do know how to make an argument. And my guess is if you're <laughs> if you're the if you're the youngest of six, maybe you have to sit there and listen to all the arguments and then say, all right, now I get to weigh in. And I uh, get the benefit of having heard all the rambunctious yes, no's, this, that, and the other. Is that where that skill set came from? I, I don't think so. I don't think I don't remember being that uh, wise or judicious. wasn't my temperament as a kid. I, there was a lot of fighting. You're right. Um, but it was funny. You know, one of the things my dad said when I was little that struck with me, and he would say, you know, to, as he talked about his kids or whatever, he would say, you know, John thinks like a lawyer. Johnny thinks like a lawyer. And I never knew really what that meant, but it sort of stuck in my mind that maybe I should be a lawyer. And I sort of, you know, I mean, I always wanted to be a professional baseball player or football player or, you know, those types of things. Um, but in the back of my mind, I always, uh, you know, that always stuck with me. And, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, as I, as I sort of got older, that's, uh, you know, that's where I ended up in, you know, obviously going to, to, to law school and, that's really where I sort of honed, honed that skill. That yeah, but why law that, school? Uh, why, why law school? Come on, eh? like our son went to law school. Uh, Julie and I, our, our son, we're proud of him. What he did, 
Um, but, you know, it really took his buddy getting him into debate. And once he was in debate, he like thrived. He loved it. He just dove right into it. And he loved policy. He, you know, you have to argue both sides. And then it really kind of lit a fire under him. I don't know what he'd be doing if, if not for that encouragement to go into debate. What was that moment for you when they, he said, yeah, dad thinks I look, you know, I, I think like an attorney, but Hey, this is actually pretty exciting. Yeah, I think um, he planted the seed, but then, you know, sort of as I, 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 I grew up and, um, you know, I went through school and I was always, I, you know, I was, I was fortunate. I just did well in school and, and, uh, uh, you know, always sort of a voracious reader and, um, uh, and just sort of, you know, focused on things like, you know, uh, law, the thing, you know, my mind went to, you know, concepts of fairness and, you know, um, uh, and, and even politics, you know, and being, you know, reading the constitution and, you know, my favorite class in, in uh, high school was government. And so it just sort of, it seemed to make sense. And the thing that made them, you know, uh, like I said, I almost uh, ruled everything else out and really thought I could picture myself arguing cases, you know, before the Supreme court. And, uh, I thought that was a noble thing to do to, you know, um, support and defend, you know, uh, th that concept, um, uh, people and laws and, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate one of those people that it sort of played out the way I thought about it as a kid, you know, and, um, you know, cause obviously, as you know, my, my career took me, took me there and, you know, and became a federal prosecutor and U.S. attorney and, you know, represented the United States long before I got to Congress and, 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 uh, you know, um, uh, and I did hone that skill over the years and just, uh, really, became good at taking either side of an argument and, um, you know, uh, and just enjoyed the, the, the you know, the, the process of doing that. Yeah. But let, let's be honest, your, your high school government teacher, did they really know what government was about now that you've been in the government? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and no, I say that, you know, go ahead. So it's funny though. I will say this. Uh, I have this uh, little badge uh, in my desk. In fact, I can, while I'm talking to you, I can pull it out. When I graduated high school, um, my high school graduation, my uh, teacher handed me an envelope, and inside that envelope uh, was a little button that he had made, and it and it says, and I'm holding it, it says John Ratcliffe for Congress. So he, he, you know, and I thought, what the heck really? is this? But he, yeah, he obviously thought. Uh, that I had a you know a, a set of uh, abilities that that uh, might lead me to that and you know um, maybe he's the one that planted the seed that you know that uh, that took me to where you and I became friends but uh, uh, no I, I was actually fortunate you know uh, Jason both of my parents were teachers so um, you know um, I have such great respect for uh, teachers and education which which makes it you know uh, makes it hard to see a lot of what's happening today with you know uh, teachers in the educational system and the things that have happened and you know the things that I that I, I see happening <laughs> so you got you're going to high school and, and now it comes the decision hey uh, yeah going to college uh, why Notre Dame and what did you what did you study there yeah so uh, I grew up in Illinois and so uh, and and I'm Catholic and so, um, you know, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners um, who are, you know, of our generation 
TV wasn't quite the same back in the day. I mean, uh, the, the big thing was what, what did Notre Dame football do on Saturday? I grew up with, with uh, listening to Notre Dame football and, and uh, you know, everyone in Illinois. Uh, that was one of the things that, uh, that, you, that you saw. So I just always heard such great things about school and, you know, never knew if I could get in there or not, but, but I applied and, and was fortunate to be accepted. And, and so, um, you know, it was a great experience for me, but that's how I ended up, uh, how I ended up there. And what'd you study? Uh, government and international studies. Um, so, uh, you know, again, that's again, sort of two, that two worthless degrees. Yeah. If you, like, <laughs> if you don't actually go to government, but you actually did. So that's good. I, now I yeah, got to ask I you, much of you. You, I got to ask you, though, because uh, you and I have gotten to know and bump into and spend some time, break bread with uh, Lou Holtz along the way. So with him being the Notre Dame coach, that had to be a little surreal, right? I mean, that guy is you a know, national treasure. Oh, absolutely. One of the great, great human beings. And, you know, I was I, one of the things that, you know, has been rewarding is um, I, I made the recommendation uh, to, to former President Trump to award uh, Coach Holtz the Presidential Medal of Freedom because uh, he's a great American and and he was uh, he did receive that honor. Um, and uh, so it's great to be a part of that. But it's funny because, you know, I never dreamed that I would even know Lou Holtz. Um, and uh, um, and now we have become, you know, because of the, you know, the opportunities that, that I had in Congress um, and then later in the administration, you know, he and I have become have become good friends, which is which is surreal because uh, he really is a, a great human being. And, and actually, you know, he and I had this discussion. He actually, in 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 many ways, had a had an influence on my life as well. I mean, one of the things that sort of directed me, Jason, was um, as I look back, uh, I got into you know wanting to have a big life, and and I got into reading uh, you know different people like. Tony Robbins and um, uh, but even Lou Holtz and one of the things that Lou Holtz you know as a as a motivational speaker you know he talked about uh, you know having a list of you know ninety seven things that he wanted to accomplish in his life you know things like land on an aircraft carrier and you know I mean just the things that are seem so far fetched and um, you know long before I knew him that was one of the things that uh, you know. Uh, that I adopted, uh, you know, putting together a list and every year I still do that. And, and, uh, and so he and I talk about that as, you know, it's funny how life works out, but he had an influence on me long before I ever had the chance to, to know him. And, uh, yeah. So you, you, um, you go to Notre Dame, uh, you graduate, then you say, Oh yeah, law school, that's the thing for me. So you apply, you go to SMU and, uh, Methodist university in Dallas. Yep. Yeah, and and you've pretty much been in Dallas ever since, right? Yeah, Texas is home. I, I just got to tell you, from the minute that I got here, I, I really wanted to see a different part of the country, and I had been accepted in uh, different schools, UCLA, out in California, and, and uh, you know, just I, I had applied to different places around the country, but I visited uh, Texas and just really fell in love, and I can't ever imagine living anyplace else. I mean, obviously, I spend time in Washington DC and I, you know, I'm, but, but, you know, Texas, I think will always be home for us. And, you know, my family's here and my, you know, my kids are native Texans and, and uh, it's just been, you know, now having had the opportunity to represent the people of Texas in, in, uh, you know, in Congress. Um, yeah. Texas is just, uh, you know, um, just a fantastic place. 
But somehow, some way along the way, you uh, explain to me the relationship you have with John Ashcroft, the f- the former attorney general, right? Former senator, former governor too. He did all of the above, yeah, I think. All of the above, uh, and one. Why of was he really spending nice. time with you? Yeah. So you know, again, funny how uh, you know life works out. Um, I didn't know, you know, John Ashcroft, but, um, you know, one of the events in my life, Jason, that I look back and how, how things changed for me professionally, you know, I was a lawyer for a number of years, but, um, you know, after nine 11 and we all remember where we were and whatever, but I, um, I was a successful practicing lawyer. I was a partner in a law firm in downtown Dallas and skyscraper that, uh, you know, uh, looked a lot like the buildings that were hit in, in New York city. And, and, um, you know, and I just remember at that, at that point in time thinking, you know, I've had great financial success and I'm doing well, but I, I felt a tinge of guilt. I never served in the military and, um, you know, it's just sort of a strange, uh, you know, I, I thought, well, how can I serve at the age that I am and what can I do? And, you know, in the aftermath of, of 9-11, the Department of Justice created um, uh, a terrorism prosecution, you know, unit um, and uh, and focused on the prevention of terrorism as a priority of the Department of Justice. And and I thought, oh, this might be, you know, crazy, but I'm going to I'm going to go try and do that. And I was fortunate enough to be appointed to to, uh, you know, to that position as the chief of anti-terrorism for uh, the federal district where I lived. And and uh, and then that gave me the opportunity, um, you know, to become the United States attorney. And of course, the attorney general at that time was John Ashcroft. And so he um, as, as time went by, uh, you know, when he left, uh, you know, and started a law firm at the at the end of the uh, Bush administration, he called me up and said, hey, I'd love to practice law with you and have you had my Dallas office. And so um uh, you know, again, uh, he just, we became friends and he was a mentor and really was the person that encouraged me to run for Congress. But, uh, you know, uh, so fortunate to, and I, and, and, and John Ashcroft, uh, I still talk to general Ashcroft as I call him, um, uh, you know, probably every week or two, um, get his advice. We talk about things that are happening in the world and in our families and it's just become, you know, an important part of my life. You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So let, let's go back there for a second. You're practicing law. What kind of law were you practicing? Because I would suspect a number of people put in for that. But why do you think they appointed you as opposed to everybody else? It's not like they your dad made some... exorbitant campaign contributions and you bought your way in. So how, how well, did this all happen? That, Jason, it was it was sort of crazy because, I mean, you know, I was, I was, you know, uh, people thought I was, you know, a lot of people thought, what this deal? He's lost his mind. I mean, you know, I was uh, making uh, multiples of what I would make as a, as a, you know, probably a GS 15, um, you know, assistant, you know, United States attorney and terrorism prosecutor. And, um, you know, and I think I got it in part because I, you know, the, 
um, you know, there was probably a level of surprise that someone with my experience and, um, you know, I'd been a practicing lawyer for, gosh, uh, 12 years at that point in time. And like I said, was a partner in a law firm and um, had done just sort of what's a general civil practice. I was a litigator, a very successful, you know, uh, courtroom lawyer. And, uh, you know, and I think I had a set of skills that would 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 have applied. And um, so, you know, I like I said, uh, uh, hard to always uh, understand how the things that happen in our lives do. But, um, uh, you know, um, you know, then you I got was there. fortunate that yeah. uh, that I was. Yeah, that I was selected to do that. And um, again, it sort of really changed the trajectory where. You know, I became less focused on financial success and and more involved with public service, and uh, and really enjoyed it. And obviously, it led to, you know, uh, the kinds of things that we so, that we've already mentioned that where you and I have become friends. So, uh, what was the conversation like? Where you woke up one morning and said, "You know, honey, I think I should run for Congress." Like, how did that go down? <laughs> uh, you know. Um, because of the the you know the work that I was doing um, for the government, that was so much. I was making way less money um, than I had in private practice, but it was so much more rewarding. I mean, there's something to be, you know, one of the great things about uh, being a federal prosecutor um, it was, uh, you know, standing up in a courtroom and um, and saying, Your Honor, um, I'm. You know, John Ratcliffe, I'm here representing the United States of America. And, you know, I I always felt like I was the good guy. I was the guy in the white hat and that I was, you know, helping um, our country by prosecuting really bad people. And I know that not everyone sees federal prosecutors that way. Um, and I hate uh, what's happening, you know, recently. And, you know, some of the things that are, that, you know, you and I, um, you know, even in Congress dealt with in terms of people that have 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 abused the sort of the sanctity of our, our system of American jurisprudence and, and, and made it political. But when I was doing it, it, it really um, it gave me a sense of satisfaction and purpose. And, and I just, uh, you know, again, just felt like, well, maybe I could take it uh, to the next level and the, and the opportunity to represent, you know, uh, nearly a million people, um, you know, in a congressional district, uh, you know, at the, at the, at the center of, you know, our great American government. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, you've met my wife, Michelle, and, um, you know, she, uh, probably thought I was crazy. Uh, and, uh, particularly given, as you know, the circumstances in which I ran, um, uh, but you know, she was, yeah, you, you did entirely. You, you and I did what we're not supposed to do, and that is run against an incumbent Republican. We ate kind of one of our own to get there, but, you know, it, they're open seats at that point. That's what our Constitution has, and I don't know, maybe I sound a little defensive saying, well, yeah, I mean, so it's not that person's seat in perpetuity. That's not the way the system works. Yeah, well, I mean, we both, you know, we both challenged the system in a way and presented a vision to, you know, the, the people that we you know, that, that we, you know, live in those communities. And, and obviously, you know, they made the choice. You, you and I, I mean, everyone has a great story. You know, most people do in terms of how they got to Congress. Uh, you and I often joke about mine because, you know, you, you served with, you know, my, my predecessor, you know, a wonderful guy named Ralph Hall. But, um, you know, I was not supposed to win that race, as you, as you know. And, 
you know, again, that's, that's part of, uh, you know, how I, why I feel so blessed and fortunate because I, I was, uh, you know, didn't really have, uh, much of a chance. Um, he was, as you know, a a, a legend, um, in, uh, in Texas politics and, um, and, uh, it took a lot of, you know, but that's where strategy comes into play and, and, uh, uh, you know, I definitely had a plan and was fortunate that things, things worked out. And that there was another guy who also did something similar and that was Trey Gowdy. Now you must've, did you cringe? What was the, what, what's the right word when you, <laughs> when you first met Trey Gowdy? What was the, what's the right way to describe that meeting? So as you know, uh, you and Trey at the time were serving with the Congressman Ralph Hall and, um, but Trey went so far as to endorse, uh, and support. <laughs> Yeah, he did, uh, didn't he? Oh, I totally Hall. forgot about that. Yes, and, he endorsed uh, and, your and, opponent. Yeah, that that's and, awkward. And, well, it was because I thought, you know, at the time, you know, you, you know, from a distance, you know, Trey Gowdy was, uh, you know, just leading, the, you know, leading the charge along with you and others in Congress, um, you know, against so many of the injustices that were there. But he, of course, had my background as a, you know, as as a lawyer and a prosecutor and. And uh, and so I thought so highly of him. So, yeah, uh, you know, the day that, um, you know, I heard, a, uh, you know, a robocall from uh, from Trey Gowdy talking about, you know, uh, how great my opponent was <laughs> and how the people should vote for him. Uh, when I later met Trey, you know, it was, you know, I went from, oh, here's a guy who I've been idolizing, and, you know, he had campaigned against me. But, you know, we laugh about that because, as you know, he's become. You know, he's one of our our closest friends. You know, yours and mine uh, both, and, and and we talk frequently. Uh, but it's funny how life works out. Um, hey, it is the eff- that, it is that the his eff- endorsement apparently didn't mean much because I ended up winning the race, <laughs> which we love to remind Trey of on a regular basis. It is the official viewpoint of the Jason and the House podcast that any opportunity to rip on the integrity and the intentions of Jerry Gowdy is full game. And I take every advantage and opportunity to do so. And I'm losing this fight because he does this more to me than I do to him. So just so we can keep score <laughs> along the way. And we do that out of love and affection because um, he really is one of the the funniest, wittiest guys to sit there. And on that, you know, we were more junior on the Judiciary Committee because you two guys were sitting together and then we had a person, Dan Marino, in between us and then I was there. and. I can't believe we didn't get in a little bit more trouble there because some of the laughs we had along the way were were pretty <laughs> funny and uh, you know live microphones and whatnot. But yeah, it was a good yeah, time. Yeah, we had good. We did. We had good times, but we did good work, Jason. I look back, and think yeah. about you know uh, you know all the things that uh, you know between the laughs that were serious that where we where where I really felt like we moved the needle um, in a lot of respects and um, you know um, that are. You know, I mean, obviously, we're still fighting a lot of the same issues today, but the things that we were able to highlight and and argue about in a, in a very public way and some of the witnesses that we were challenging and some of the things that we were doing. And of course, you were you know, chairman of oversight, you know, and, and had that, you know, uh, you know, that platform as well. But, uh, you know, um, I think, you know, we did. We had good time, but we did important work. You made the transition, though, because, look, you had the unique uh, opportunity and background, having been a prosecutor, particularly on the terrorism issues. And then, um, you know, you Donald Trump's the president of the United States. And and then 
Tell us about the transition that you went through to become the director of national intelligence. And everybody should understand the entire intelligence community focuses, has to have a focal point, And that is the DNI, as they refer to them. What's that like? How did that transition come into place? And then on a daily basis, give us just a preview, just a just a sense of what that's like in the interaction with the president. Sure. Well, um, you know, I didn't know President Trump. Um, you know, I was not someone that was, you know, spending time at the White House when he when he you know became president. And um, I just sort of focused on the things that you and I were doing on judiciary. But, um, you know, we were as, as you know, we were we were in a lot of televised hearings and and uh, we were questioning a lot of witnesses. And um, I had heard through through different folks that the president, you know, liked the way that I uh, went after certain witnesses and questioned them. And um, and when I finally met, you know, met him, um, uh, he expressed that to me personally and just said, I just really you know think you do a great job. And. Um, he said, I'd love to find a way to get you in the administration. And, and so we, we had lunch and talked about different, different positions. And he said, well, I'm planning to make a move. And, you know, as you know, Jason, I was also, in addition to being on the judiciary committee and having the background as a, as a terrorism prosecutor, I was also on the intelligence committee. And, and so, um, uh, you know, we had that discussion, you know, and, and he offered me the, you know, the, the position. And so, you know, uh, but as you also recall, Jason, you know, I, I, my path to becoming DNI really wasn't, you know, prepared for the way uh, the Democrats were going right, to right. uh, come after me. And and I wasn't really prepared for that. And as you know, I, I withdrew my name initially. Um, but then really, I mean, in one of the more rewarding, you know, things in, in my life, I, you know, the president said, hey, I really need you to do this. And I said, OK. And so I took that on and was, you know, and was confirmed by the Senate. And the president always called me the comeback kid after that. But it was important. I knew what was at stake. And, um, you know, the director of national intelligence, yeah, is the head of the intelligence, all all intelligence agencies, including, you know, the CIA and the NSA and, you know, all components of our government that, you know, collect our most sens- sensitive intelligence. But the other thing that you do as, as the DNI is not only uh, coordinate all of that work of those agencies as you, you put together, you know, 365 days a year, what's called the president's daily brief, which is the collection of the, you know, most sensitive intelligence, um, to brief, not just the president, but his cabinet and our military leaders, um, and policymakers, even in Congress on, um, you know, what the threats to America are, you know, and then you deliver that on a daily basis. And then several times a week, you know, in-person briefings with the president where he's able to ask about that intelligence. And so I, I spent a great deal of time, um, you know, when I was DNI, um, you know, with President Trump and, you know, Vice President Pence and, um, you know, the senior, you know, uh, cabinet officials, uh, you know, talking about the threats to America and, and really the opportunity to, um, you know, be brief the president on those issues and be um, you know, an integral part of the decisions that we made to keep America safe and the actions that we in deploying, you know, um, all of the aspects that we have at the Department of Defense um, to do that. Uh, it was just an incredibly rewarding experience. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be right back. 
Yeah, and this is where I don't think uh, Donald Trump, uh, President Trump, gets enough credit because he really did surround himself and his inner circle with some very competent people. I mean, between you and Robert O'Brien as the national security advisor, that was a really top-notch team of people that you can have a lot of confidence in and that you know are going to do the right thing. They're just, you know, people of integrity and... um, I don't know. I I slept better at night knowing that you and Robert and some of these well, other key people were in those positions. We really, uh, you're very kind to say that, but I I do think. I mean, as you know, Robert O'Brien um, has become. Uh, he was always a, a good friend of yours, but he and I have become really good friends in part because we've been through those fires together, and he was fabulous as national security advisor. Mike Pompeo was a terrific Secretary of State. I mean, we were. The decision-making, you know, the national security uh, team that President Trump had together, you know, really was uh, outstanding. And, and, you know, we did some, you know, we, you know, we did some fantastic things to keep our country safe that, you know, based on where we are now, I think people can see and appreciate that. I mean, you know, um, you know, removing, you know, the head of the Iranian terrorist network, you know, uh, Kasim Soleimani, in a very public way, had a had a had a profound and deterrent effect on, uh, you know, and really allowed for for peace in the Middle East and the Abraham Accord. Same thing with, you know, uh, really the dismantling of the ISIS caliphate, uh, culminating in, um, you know, taking Abu Bakr al Baghdadi out in a very public way. Those were, you know, those were strategic uh, national security successes that. Um, when you compare them to some of the things, um, you know, that have happened more recently, like the, you know, the, the debacle in Afghanistan and some of the things that, you know, that, that we're currently facing in terms of threats really show, you know, the importance of having good people, um, uh, you know, as, as the national security team. And I do think President Trump did a fantastic job with, uh, with, with a lot of the personnel decisions in that, in that regard. As you look back, I mean, and look, you've been out of it a couple of years now, but um, you still get intelligence briefings along the way, I, I, as I understand it. But as you yeah. look at the world stage today and you're just telling somebody, the average person who might be listening to the show, what are the biggest threats to the United States of America here in April of 2023? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I, I still serve, um, you know, anytime the, the you know, former president uh, needs a, uh, and is entitled to an intelligence briefing, I would be his um, uh, intelligence advisor. And, and as you know, after the recent spy balloon uh, incident uh, involving, you know, a Chinese spy balloon flying across the country, I was, you know, I was briefed along with, you know, former National Security Advisor O'Brien and, you know, Robert and I were briefed along with Mike Pompeo on on that intelligence. So, yeah, I do still get, um, you know, have my clearances and get uh, uh, intelligence briefings as required or necessary uh, and appropriate. And um, but the you know, the the existential threats that our country faces and I talked about this, you know, it hasn't changed from the time I left. I did something, Jason, that uh, no DNI had ever done or and I was told was not supposed to do. I I wrote a very public op ed in Wall Street Journal. Um, on my way out the door saying China's our number one national security threat and outlined the reasons why um, in an unclassified way. But it was very clear to me that, you know, China is presenting a threat that the old Soviet Union um, far more, uh, you know, uh, perilous to our country than the old Soviet Union ever, you know, presented to us because 
You know, the old Soviet Union, while, you know, they had nuclear weapons, they were never embedded within our economy. They were never a strategic trading partner. And it was also easy to get a coalition of countries to confront the old Soviet Union because, you know, likewise, um, uh, countries around the world that stood for democracy were not dependent on the old Soviet Union. What's changed and what's so difficult now, Jason, is when we talk about the threat that China is, is, you know, they are embedded within our economy. They're the United States' number three trading partner behind, uh, you know, Canada and Mexico. And when it comes to building a coalition to take action against uh, threats from China, other countries, our allies like, you know, uh, Great Britain and, and France and traditional allies, you know, even even Israel, they are trading partners and they are dependent on China for supply chain issues. Uh, and so that is, you know, that is the, uh, you know, the threat, um, you know, from a nation state perspective that uh, that challenges us more than anything. But it, it, an issue separate from just nation state is that, you know, the challenges of technology and emerging technology. And I think people can appreciate this. And, um, you know, the United States has been such a uh, dominant superpower from a kinetic fire, you know, firepower standpoint. We've always had the strongest you know, um, military and, you know, the best Navy and the best Air Force and and um, all of that's important. But, you know, with the with the onset of, of technology and the threats through cybersecurity, um, you know, other countries that can't compete with us from a kinetic firepower standpoint, um, you know, can still cause mayhem and destruction from half a world away in a few seconds and a few keystrokes. And and so, you know, countries like even North Korea that, that can't compete with us you know, again, from a kinetic fire standpoint, uh, firepower standpoint, they, they pose great threats to us. Same thing with Iran um, and, of course, Russia and China uh, as well. And so, um, you know, our ability to defend our physical borders is one issue, but defending our digital borders is a threat that, you know, frankly, right, is right. Uh, something that the United States is going to have to get better at if we want to remain the world's superpower. Well, we could talk for hours and hours about that. Uh, I'm just glad that you've been one of the key people embedded in that. And, and uh, I do think whatever the next ad Republican administration is, that uh, it'd be crazy not to have you helping to lead this uh, this effort. But um, I, I do have a few more questions, John, as we kind of wrap this thing up. Um, it's some rapid questions, some critical questions to kind of get to know you. And I don't care how low your handicap is now that you have a little extra time on your on your hands. Um, but I got to ask you these questions. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Uh, first concert you attended? Foreigner. Foreigner. That's good. But in <laughs> Dallas? Yeah. Uh, They're still touring. It, it, yeah. Foreigner. And I attended uh, Foreigner, but I was in high school. I uh, attended Foreigner. It was a Foreigner Four album in nineteen eighty-two. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, believe <laughs> me, I know. I've I've heard that thing more than a few times. That's uh, that's for sure. Uh, favorite vegetable? Carrots. Yeah. Underrated. Not, not carrot. even close. I I I always I I have carrots probably three or four times a week. My favorite vegetable. I I love it too. You know, one of my fondest memories growing up. And I was in Northern California when I was a little squirt. Um, is my mom some? I don't think my dad ever did this, but my mom, uh, we had a little garden, and I still had the greatest thrill of going and planting all those seeds and then watching them. And there's nothing better as a little kid 
to growing that carrot and wanting to pull it out of the ground and eat it. And then finally, <laughs> mom would give us the thumbs up. Okay, it's time to pull the carrots out. And we'd pull out this whole thing would come out and I'd throw the hose over it and just eat it. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Anyway, I just thought that Pretty was so awesome. fun. Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, agreed. Carrots are the best vegetable. You car- and I agree. Carrots are very good, very palatable. Uh, I like them cooked. I like them raw. I like them, yeah. Uh, first job, not, hey, Johnny, go take out the garbage. I mean, mom and dad, yep. first job away, actually getting a check and having a boss, somebody other than your parents. Lifeguard. Li- lifeguard. Wow. <laughs> so you had to get certified and everything. I did, yeah. I was I was 15 years old, and I couldn't. Uh, I got certified, and and uh, I had to wait until my 16th birthday to be uh, hired at the by the local YMCA as a lifeguard. But that was my first first job, and uh, that was a great job. I, I loved it. Yeah, it's a rough job. You're working on that tan, so that's that's good. <laughs> uh, favorite? Did you have a pet growing up? Uh, yeah, I had many pets. Uh, dogs and cats both and love both uh, dogs and cats and to this day you know always have pets so um, uh, yeah you know I almost lost my first election I was way way out ahead and my staff and you know advisors and you know you get all these people who've been through this before and you you have the nomination at this point they're just like and it's Utah right so it's not that close so they're just like just don't say or do anything stupid so I it's two weeks before the election and our little Fox affiliate there in Salt Lake says, uh, Hey, can we ask you some questions? And so they have this six and 60, something like that, you know, six questions in 60 seconds. (laughs) And the first question is cats or dogs. And I say, well, dogs, I said, you know, one of my favorite books is 101 uses for dead cats. And I, and I, and I waxed on about it and I thought it was cute and thought it was funny. I got so much hate mail and emails and my people around me are looking at like, Jason, what are you doing? And I said, Oh, I just have fun. I just thought it was funny. And they're like, don't do that. You're about to have an election. You know how many people you just offended? I said, well, it's the real answer. And oh my goodness. Yeah. You got to stick with dogs and cats. Yeah. Yeah, you make it nice and boring. Yeah, that's good. That's why you get Senate confirmed. <laughs> um, okay, right. so if you and Michelle, you and Michelle, uh, you get this magic power, and the magic power is you can invite anybody over to break bread. Somebody come share a meal with you, dead or alive, historical figure, current figure, whoever it is. Who would you invite over to come have dinner with you and the family? Uh, well, you know, Michelle would probably give a different answer. Uh, oh, I'm sure she would. Yeah, I would. Uh, so, uh, um, who would I invite over for dinner? Uh, is it just one person? Do I only get one? Yeah, well, we're pretty liberal in our ability to give a, it's just a hypothetical to say the least. <laughs> yes. You can give uh, more than one. Who's coming over to have um, dinner with you guys. I would invite my uh, late father, um, since you said uh, dead or alive, obviously the chance to yeah, yeah. Uh, see, see my dad. Um, Joe Montana would be one of mine. Everyone that knows me knows that I grew up idolizing uh, Joe Montana, Interesting. quarterback yeah. for, for Notre Dame and then for the San Francisco 49ers and, and uh, yeah. uh, was always my favorite favorite player growing up. I would probably, you know, one, one, you know, I've had the fortune, you, you and I have had great 
you know, being in Congress, you get to meet uh, uh, a lot of important yeah, yeah. Uh, people. Um, so I've met presidents and vice presidents and prime ministers and, and uh, movie stars and all of that. Um, as you know, I love to play golf. Um, one person I've never met and I would love to uh, visit with him is Jack Nicholas. Um, no, that, that would be, uh, yeah, yeah a, a real treat to, uh, to talk golf with him, uh, football with Joe Montana, you know, with politics, I've got you and, uh, Gowdy whenever I want. So I'm not going to put anyone on that, uh, from, <laughs> from that genre on my, uh, on my dinner list. So, uh, we'll keep it light and talk. Sports. I, I think I would add Paul McCartney to that list. I think that guy has seen and done things. <laughs> I, I just that that would be fun. That would be fun. All right. Let's, uh, you, let's keep I'd going. Actually, uh, my, 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 uh, my, I, I, if you're going to add mu- musical guests, I would probably have to add Taylor Swift because my wife and two daughters are big Taylor Swift. Oh my fans, gosh! So. Uh, yes, tell me about <laughs> it. Our daughter and my wife. The, if, if there's ever an opportunity, I bump into or see or whatever. You know, Taylor Swift before she was Taylor Swift, she used to come do uh, you know those concerts in the morning on fox and friends you know fox the, and on, friends. yeah yeah she would come do the early shows like that like whoops kind of missed that opportunity back in the day but um yeah our daughter particularly is just google over over taylor swift yeah if i can't blow that as a dad i still have to pull that one off <laughs> i'm nobody until i can pull that one off for our daughter but uh hasn't happened yet uh pineapple on pizza yes or no no yeah, good answer. That's what the judges all like here. I appreciate that. Uh, very last question. I really appreciate the generosity of your time, John. Best advice you ever got? Hmm. Essentially, go big or go home. I mean, I think life is. Um, uh, I I I I term myself as um, uh, a calculated risk taker. I mean, it's what gave me the 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 opportunity to. Um, you know, like we talked about, run for Congress in a race that I uh, shouldn't have won um, uh, to become, you know, part of the president's cabinet. Um, all of that was really, um, uh, you know, different people said it to me different ways. You know, my, my remember my my dad saying, you know, um, that, you know, uh, you want to live a big life and uh, have to go after your dreams um, so again, people have said it different ways, but, uh, but essentially go big or go home. No, it's good. It's great advice. And listen, I know you didn't, uh, like me, uh, similarly didn't, uh, serve in the military. Didn't, you know, felt very almost, um, just very blessed by those who had gone before us to create such opportunities, but your, uh, your service, um, both in Congress, but certainly as the director of national intelligence, that is a crazy hard difficult yet one of the most consequential and important jobs in the country and appreciate your service there and your friendship and uh i still got to work hard to you know try to keep up with you on the golf course but i'm i'm working on it i'm working on it you even had an injury <laughs> and i still couldn't catch up with you so um well, you but, know, you're always welcome at uh, uh come come back to dallas national and play another round and i hope we'll, we'll do that soon Yes, I would I would love to do that. And thanks for joining us on the podcast today. And uh, thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank John. you for your friendship, Jason. Appreciate it. All right. I can't thank John enough. You can see th- this is the kind of person of integrity that we need at the highest echelons and highest levels of our government. Thank goodness he did. A great pick by, by President Trump. 
if you could rate this, if you could like this, um, we would certainly appreciate it and subscribe to it too. We'd appreciate that all the more. Want to remind listeners that you can listen ad free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad free on the Amazon Music app. Again, thank you for listening to us today. You can go over to the foxnewspodcast.com to get some more from my colleagues. And I hope you're able to join us next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.